I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Derek Ray. On this existential conundrum, German edition, if you're Dortmund and Bayern competing for the Champions League and the Bundesliga, do you have to sacrifice one to win the other? Also, they play on. Homeless Shakhtar beat mighty Barcelona in Hamburg. But Andy did tell you that they play on, didn't he? And have Berlin finally kicked the losing habit or... Have they simply converted to a non-winning habit? Derek, we are so pleased to have you with us. For those who don't know, this is a legend of football commentating currently with ESPN in Boston in the United States. So my question to you is, are you a football caller or a football commentator? (laughs) Dotton, first of all, thanks very much for having me. Been listening to you for many, many years. And football commentator is what I always say. I think in Australia they would probably call me a football caller. In the States, it's often play by play announcer. And in Germany, where I work a lot of the time, it's commentator. So you can take your pick, I think, from that list. <laughs> well, they, they once called me in, in the United States the coloured guy. It was only afterwards Uh I realised I was the colour guy. Oh, right. It's not easy, is it? Translation sometimes in football. But let's stick to the German uh, on this occasion. Were you there for Der Klassiker last week? I was, yes. I was there in the stadium in Dortmund for ESPN. And I have to say, I fell into the old trap of thinking that this was going to be, and I'll use a German expression for you here, uh, a clash auf Augenhöhe, which basically means at high level. Uh, And I thought that Dortmund would match Bayern in many areas of the game. Bayern, remember, had just lost to Saarbrücken in the DFB Pokal, the National Knockout Cup competition. And they had a couple of 
question marks going into the game, specifically the fact that Joshua Kimmich was suspended following his red card against Darmstadt the week before. Also, Dayo Upamecano, who was a big injury doubt. And the question was, was he really fit? Leon Goretzka playing with a cast on his hand, the legacy of a broken bone in that hand. And just a few parts within Bayern that didn't look 100%. And I thought this was a chance for Dortmund. I thought it was going to be a high-scoring draw, but it wasn't. It was the same old story in terms of this fixture going back over a number of years. And from a neutral point of view, that was disappointing. But I do think you really have to give credit to Bayern. And I often think that people outside Germany maybe don't talk them up enough. They sort of think, oh, Bayern and everybody else just folds. But I think in this constellation... They're pretty good. Well, I think I wrote when I was um, talking about my um, Guardian column about it on Monday. I think when I, I wrote the tweet, I, I said Dortmund reverted to what they do best in De Classica, pro- provoking Bayern to be their best. Yeah. And really, as soon as that Zabrucken result happened, you thought, hang on, Dortmund are in trouble here. Uh, but whatever's meant to be happening in the dressing room, Bayern will just come out and respond because I was, I was at the game at uh, Allianz Arena last night where they just about got past Galatasaray and I think they'll look back over those two games, Derek, uh, against Galatasaray in the Champions League and think we've done very well to get six points out of those. That was a bit more in common with Bayern's season, wasn't it? Because it's felt as if they haven't played brilliantly, but they've had the individual quality to make the results go for them at the, the right moment in most of those games. But when Dotton was making the, the differential between what will be required in the Bundesliga and what will be required in the, the, the Champions League, there were a lot of moments in both those games against Galatasaray where you thought, hang about, maybe they're going to get fi- found out against someone who's absolutely top bracket in this competition. No, I think that's right, Andy. I think when you look at the season, it has often come down to the individual qualities of their players. And Thomas Tucher has been criticised. I think he's getting a bit fed up of the criticism, which explains some of the outbursts that we've heard from Thomas Tucher, specifically in German media in the last week or so. But I think that if you look at the games that have been problematic for Bayern, you think about Leverkusen in the Bundesliga, 2-2, well-merited 2-2 for Leverkusen. It was a thrilling game, a Friday night contest. 2-2 also away to Leipzig, another team that can do damage against Bayern, and they had to come back from two down in that match. But in many of the other games, they've wiped the floor with the opposition. So it, it still looks a bit like a work in progress, and I think what frustrates everyone around the coaching side, again, talking about Thomas Tuchel here, is the fact that the squad is incomplete. In certain positions, they are brilliant. If you look at sort of middle to front and the attacking positions, and Harry Kane has been a tremendous enrichment. I think you have to say that. He has Mm. surpassed even my expectations. I thought he would do very well. Uh, He has been superb as the missing piece they didn't have a, a proper centre-forward, really, prior to his signing. And then you look at Leroy Zane, how well he has played, best football of his career, and the understanding with Kane, clearly something they work on day in, day out in training at the Zebener Straße. Uh, Jamal Muziala, who, of course, won the title for them last season with his thrilling goal away to Kern when Dortmund faltered on that final day. And Kingsley Coman, who contributes greatly. And then Thomas Müller can now sort of be a... a 
bit part player, if you like, somebody who can come on and get a few minutes and help out near the end in a different way. So so all that's fine, but they don't have a proper number six, which is why they went to great lengths to attempt to sign Palinha during the summer. Didn't happen. May go back in for him. Right back is, is one that is a head scratcher for me, guys, because when I think about what they did have there, they had Benjamin Pavard, they decided to transfer him on. Didn't want to play right back, but could play right back. They had Josip Stanisic, a good player who's come through the Bayern ranks, one of the few players to have done that in recent years. And they sent him on loan to Leverkusen, which looks now like a, a, a bit of a silly move because they've left themselves short in that position without a lot of depth at right back. Konrad Leimers had to play there in a couple of games. And the central defensive situation hasn't been tidy either because of players being injured. Spoke about Upamecano just coming back, and he did, and scored the first goal, of course, early on against Dortmund at the weekend. Matthijs de Ligt out for a while as well. And so the options are just not great there. So very strong in some positions, weak in others, and maybe that explains why it hasn't looked full in terms of, of Bayern. It hasn't been rund, again, to use the German word. It, it hasn't been complete. Um, and, and, and that does, I think, explain why the individual attacking players have come to the fore so much. Leverkusen must be saying Tankerschen uh, to Bayern Munich for all the loans that they've given them and helped them to get... Uh, well, it's only a couple of points ahead in the league, isn't it? They're ahead of... Uh, of Bayern Munich by a couple of points, but they're ahead of the rest of the pack by about six or seven points, including Dortmund. Mm. Can they be caught? Is it only Bayern and uh, Leverkusen who are in the hunt or in the race for the Bundesliga title? I think it's early to say that. And I I think it's early to say that because, not just because of the the work that the other teams have ahead of them, the amount of games that the other teams have ahead of them, and you're thinking obviously particularly about Dortmund and Leipzig, but also how do we know how Leverkusen are going to hold up to the pressure? Now, I, I want to talk about Dortmund, so I don't want to get too sidetracked by Leverkusen, but I think you look at last weekend when um, Leverkusen went 1-3-2 at Hoffenheim, and to me, that underlined the reasons that they were a genuine title contender and the reasons that they weren't. Now, the weren't is because They've got a goalkeeper who's probably not of the level of a, a, a title winner in Lucas Radetzky, who cruised into a 2-0 lead and he, he has a, a sort of brain shut down and, and, and just gives away a goal and all, all of a sudden they're back level. But the fact that they find the resource to come back after chucking away that two-goal lead and win it makes me think, OK, Xavi Alonso's really got them, as well as in a good tactical space and fitness space, a good mental space as, as, as well. But I think in, in terms of mental space, um, yeah, you have to admire Dortmund for, as Derek was saying, coming back from, which if that was Bayern's best performance of the season in the Classica, it was maybe Dortmund's worst. And bear in mind that, you know, they dropped points against Heidenheim in the opening weeks of the season and Borkham and, and looked quite flat. But the, the lack of intensity there, when... When the intensity isn't there with Dortmund, it's really not there. You know, and we expect a certain sort of rhythm from them, don't we? Because we still have that image of of Klopp Dortmund in our in our minds, this heavy metal football, as he always used to say. And that just doesn't really exist with Dortmund very well any, anymore. But what they did very well, I thought, Derek, in these two games against Newcastle, they looked more patient, more experienced, 
They picked off Newcastle really well in that it's first a leg. Team though, isn't it? Arguably and from their Bundesliga performances, isn't I, it? I, I guess, but like. I think it's even more impressive because Dortmund have got to prove it all again in the Champions League. For them to look like they're experienced and they know what they're doing in the Champions League, they've not looked like that for a while. Again, we have in our mind the team that got to the 2013 final, just like with Atletico, we still have in our mind the 2014 and 2016 team, which they're not anymore. And Dortmund aren't the 2013 Dortmund anymore as well. So I think the fact that the, the, the way they managed the game against most of the game against Newcastle at St. James's Park was really impressive. And after really going for Newcastle in the first half of the game at Zygna Laduna Park, they played a more patient game in the second half of that. And that's something that Edin Terzic has kind of been working on, isn't it, Derek? Yeah, and I thought the words of Zadi Özcan were very telling before the game. He said, we've learned a lot from last season. We are more growing up now. And some people scoffed mm. at that and thought, ah, that's just Dortmund trying to say the right thing after taking a hammering from Bayern at the weekend. But we did see that patient side. We saw it in the first match as well at St. James's Park. I was positively very surprised by Dortmund, the way they went about their business there. And it was admirable and took the, the chance very well. They weathered the storm at the end of the game, got the victory, which I think was not undeserved. And then in the second match, it was fully deserved. And, and as you said, different phases in the game, Andy. First half, better team. Newcastle did come back at them early part of the second half. But Credit here to Julian Brandt, who I think is somebody who's been a bit misunderstood down the years. He's sort of been mischaracterized as a one-dimensional player, somebody who's sometimes in the mood, sometimes not, and his defensive work has been roundly criticized in Germany. But I think he's becoming a much more complete player. And he had a very poor game against Bayern. He was taken off, didn't influence the game at all. But we saw from Brandt just how good he can be in that hot atmosphere against Newcastle. And and I do think the atmosphere is still a bit of a 12th man for Borussia Dortmund on a big night, as we saw. I was talking to a few colleagues from England who were either broadcasting the game or writing about the game who don't regularly go to Dortmund, certainly not as, as often as, as you and I get to do, Andy. Um, and they just came out of it saying, yeah, I mean, you could never tire of this, could you? And and it, it is usually beneficial, I think, to the team, even though, as you rightly say, it's not the, the Kloppo football of old. Uh, it can't necessarily be that. You can't just sort of put that blueprint down and say we're going to try to repeat that. But I think Edin Terzic is still the right fit for Borussia Dortmund, the coach. He has his doubters. There are people who've said, well, they need somebody a bit more sophisticated. You know, he's a, a son of the region. He's from the Sauerland area, very close to Dortmund. He grew up going to the Zoutribune, watching Borussia Dortmund. This is his love. It's his passion. And he's come through there in a slightly unusual way in comparison with modern coaches. You know, he, yes, went off to England for a spell, to, to West Ham, to uh, assist Slavin Bilic. But his heart has always been in Dortmund and he has a big promoter in Hans-Joachim Watzke, the CEO of the club. I think Dortmund are, in a sense, sort of where they they should be right now. They are not as good as Bayern. Um, we were actually talking as an ESPN team after the game and trying to go through player by player which Dortmund players currently would get into the Bayern starting 11 or even the Leverkusen starting 11. We came up with Gregor Kobel for Leverkusen, better than Lukas Radetzky, I think that's fair. But in many other positions, you wouldn't you know, switch around too much. 
So um, I think this is where they are. But they're now in a really good position on the Champions League. And I would say almost in a bonus position. Although that group is crazy, isn't it? When you look at what has yeah. happened, you look if at Milan, def- what they did as well. So it's anyone's guess who's going to emerge uh, as the top two. I, I think it's the best group of all the Champions League groups that we have left. Um, but Dortmund, after the first couple of games, I feared for them. I thought, nah, this is not going to happen this season. But there they are in top spot. Well, that's it. They didn't just not score. They didn't look like scoring in those first two games either, either did they, Derek? But um, when you were talking about the the atmosphere in the 12th man, it just uh, recalled what, what happened last night. I think it made what Bayern were able to do against Galatasaray even more impressive. The fact that I, I heard a few people describing it as like an away game. And it was the amount of Galatasaray fans that were in there. It's absolutely <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. Of <laughs> and of course, there's a huge Turkish... Yes, influence in Germany. Yeah. Yes, but um, this was something else. I mean, I was squeezed into a, a, a metro full of very noisy Galatasaray fans, a lot of whom were, were, were German-Turkish on, on the way. And then there's the bit where the warm-up started and you knew there were a lot of Galatasaray fans in the ground. And then the, the Bayern team came up to do their warm-up and they're being whistled. Like it's a Rams Park, <laughs> uh, and, and then the Galatasaray fans, uh, Galatasaray players, are greeted like heroes. It's remarkable, remarkable atmosphere. I dare say, welcome to hell in German, but I don't know how to say that. Uh, okay, Dortmund, though, part of the reason why they're not the same team from season to season is because they sell those great players that once upon a time uh, showed their wares at their ground. The latest being Jude Bellingham, of course. You were fortunate enough to see him play uh, many times, Derek, for Dortmund. And it seems now like perhaps the world's eyes should have been on Dortmund during those years because his formative years, now he's gone to Real Madrid, it seems like the full, uh, you know, the the, the uh, finished, uh, nearly finished model. But when he was at Dortmund, how different was his play to what we're seeing at Real Madrid now? His play at Dortmund, Dotton, was excellent and he was very much an all-rounder. But I think having seen him with Real Madrid now, he's taken it to a higher level. That could, of course, be to do with working with slightly better players on a day-in, day-out basis. But at Dortmund early on, he wasn't this sort of complete playmaking figure that he's almost become with Real Madrid. You know, that was, I saw Real Madrid play Barcelona in a friendly, I went to it uh, in the United States during the summer in uh, Texas. And at that time, I don't think people quite knew what was going to happen with, with Bellingham, where he was going to end up on the pitch. But in Dortmund, you certainly saw early on, this was a special player. This was a player who was unlike teenagers who you see routinely crop up in the Bundesliga, had something extra. Even when he was interviewed, he sounded like a, a 24, 25-year-old, you know? Didn't sound like somebody who was nervous about being interviewed. And um, I think Dortmund helped him. I think that you've said it. I, I think Dortmund have been this club that's been sort of the go-to club for young talents because they see that they can go there and learn a heck of a lot in a short space of time. And they learn a lot, not just in tactical and technical terms, but also about a football environment that is all-encompassing in Dortmund. And you could go to another club and not have that, but you do have that extra sort of pressure. And it can also be a good pressure that can drive you on. Um, 
But I think that with Bellingham, he probably did need to take that next step for his own development. Now, most of us thought it would logically be England. An English player would want to go back to England. Uh, But I think he probably made the right move from the point of view of enriching himself um, in football terms, not talking about money here, but in in football terms, trying to make himself better. And the way he's been used has been a joy and a surprise because uh, in Dortmund, he was he was never really the number 10 figure. They they always would have Marco Reus in that position if they decided to to play with a number 10. And still, you know, that would be the tendency. But I think that at Real Madrid, he has shown a wider public how good he is. But let's not also forget Erling Haaland, similar story in Dortmund. Those of us who cover the Bundesliga kept raving about him. And we heard people elsewhere who cover predominantly the Premier League saying, um, ah, well, you know, let's wait to see what he does in the Premier League. There's always that sort of strange asterisk that, that goes against anything in the Bundesliga from some quarters. And, you know, he's shown that he was every bit as good as we thought. Bellingham, for me, um, has has just taken it to a higher level because as good as he was in Dortmund, and he was extremely good and very promising, fell away a little bit in the latter half of last season. It was other players, really, who were carrying Dortmund in that run towards the title. But I look at him now and think, my goodness, the sky really is the limit for Jude Bellingham. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Andy, um, flipping out, you chose the right title for your book on Shakhtar Donetsk, didn't you? Because they are playing on and on and on and have now registered a win at one of their satellite stadiums or their satellite stadium in Hamburg against, of all people, Barcelona. Yeah, it's a remarkable achievement. It is, uh, Dotton. And it was, it, was, it was a remarkable night to, to, to be there in Hamburg on Tuesday. Um, and I, I guess... It was particularly um, sweet feeling because at this point last year, um, they were in a very similar similar situation. They'd um, had a narrow defeat away at the other, one of the big two in La Liga. They'd lost 2-1 at um, Real Madrid, just as they lost 2-1 at, at Barcelona in Montjuic in the first game. And um, a lot of people had expected them to go there and get get thrashed and they gave a good account of themselves. And then they came home against Real Madrid at this point last year 
played well, um, really got the crowd in Warsaw behind them. And I, I think it is a key... Th- we say that again and again, the team got the crowd behind them. But in this sense, I think there's a little bit more in it. Because, of course, it's not their stadium. In fact, it's not even their country. So to get a crowd who have a sense of goodwill and curiosity towards you and get them to actually support you, to draw it away from being an exhibition match, that is hard. And that was the match in which they really did it in Warsaw against Real Madrid, where they're winning 1-0 and then conceded a goal right at the end of stoppage time to Antonio Rudiger when he sort of appointed himself as a de facto centre-forward, went forward and um, scored the goal amidst this almighty collision with uh, uh, Anatoly Trubin. And then this year, Shakhtar don't just beat Barcelona. They don't just hold on to the win. But well, we'll come on to the atmosphere in a minute. But in terms of the football, um, it wasn't just digging in and defending. Now, they did that very well in the last 20 minutes when legs started to tire, to the extent that Barcelona only had one shot on target in the entire game, which is extraordinary. But the football they played, the goal they scored, the Danilo Sican goal, was a great goal, great movement inspired by uh, Yogi Sudakov, who's the, the, the man of the match and the official man of the match as well, got the little trophy. Um but the way that they played it about, it almost recalled old Shakhtar. When, of course, so much has changed. You know, when they had a brand of football that was so easily identifiable. You know, if you With were, the help of a lot of Brazilians, I, yes, I seem to remember. Yeah. Uh, whereas, whereas now, you have one Brazilian, uh, Neverton, who's young, green, um, scored what he thought was a brilliant goal, which was then disallowed and it absolutely knocked him for six. He just collapsed the turf and he's like, oh, I can't believe this. It was it was one of the most difficult to accept goal denials, I think, since uh, that Cristiano Ronaldo one against um, uh, Peak Spain in the, in the in the friendly in Lisbon. But it was it was a remarkable occasion, and it's remarkable that Shakhtar have managed to progress even from last year both in an on-pitch way, because they've been through a couple of managers since then. Uh, Marina Pusic has is, is only just taken over from Patrick van Leuven, who they, they ditched in double-quick time. And, of course, they've progressed off the field because they're playing their Champions League games in a bigger stadium, a, well, 50% bigger stadium in, in Hamburg, slightly over 50% bigger stadium. And, Derek, it's a real football city if you can get it behind you, right? Very much the case, Andy, yes. Uh, Hamburg, maybe an underrated city if you haven't been following the Bundesliga for long because Hamburg, have, of course, been in the, the second division. St. Pauli, a, another great club. Um, the, the Keats kicker, as they're known, basically the, the neighbourhood kickers. And, you know, with a political element in St. Pauli, especially, I think you'd have to say that that's part of the charm of the club for, for many people. But um, it is it is a terrific place to go and experience football. And even Hamburg in the second division, I've covered, actually, I've been there the last two years for the relegation playoff matches. And Hamburg have come up short in both of them, initially against Hertha and then last season against a pretty good Stuttgart side in the final analysis. What's interesting is that if you look at the Zweite Bundesliga table right now, you have St. Pauli 1 and Hamburg 2. 
So there's a good chance at the moment that these two great Hamburg clubs are going to be Bundesliga clubs next season. And I would say at the moment, if you look at the, the competition in that league, it's usually pretty strong, but I think they do have a leg up on on the others. And St. Pauli, Fabian Hürzler has done a great job on a short space of time as coach. They tend to play this 3-4-3 with build-up through the middle, but pressing high and exposing the weaknesses of their opponents. Hamburg with Tim Walter. Interestingly, and I don't know if there's a lesson in this, they they failed with Tim Walter, if you like, two seasons running in terms of making it out of the division when they were supposed to. What would most clubs do? They would say, OK, we're going to change it and not have Tim Walter, who's very much a, a stubborn possession, old-style possession coach. He's not really one for the uh, the Umschaltfußball, as, as Germans are inclined to say, the transitional moments um, in football. He, he's about possession and patience and playing that way and he's still the coach so you know maybe their perseverance there will be rewarded the, the squad hasn't changed very much at all um, but intrigued to hear what you thought about the atmosphere because I've always enjoyed the atmosphere at Hamburg home games and at St. Pauli home games it would be great if we have them both in the Bundesliga next season but I just wonder what the differences were uh, with this you know unusual situation a big game for Schachter in Hamburg Hamburg is the only German stadium that I've ever visited many, many, many moons ago. What I remember very keenly about it is that I was welcomed and immediately had a host of people around me who wanted to know everything about me, what I was doing there, etc., etc., etc. Is it like that? You said that this was a sweet moment for Shakhtar. Was it an emotional moment for Shakhtar beating Barcelona 1-0? Yeah, I, th- I think so. Um I think in terms of the atmosphere, as, as you were describing, Dotton, um, I went with a friend and the, as, as Derek was saying, they've been down in the dumps for a little uh, time, Hamburg, and there were you know these posters around the city saying, come see Champions League football at the Fox Park Stadium <laughs> because it's been so long. <laughs> yes. It's not your team, but come. And uh, it, it, was, it was interesting because there was a little bit more edge. It wasn't the sense of, I was speaking to some... Um, Hamburg fans about it actually and um, I was saying when Shakhtar played in uh, Warsaw last year it was a little bit like when Brazil played at the Emirates well, people were excited to see them but you know apart, apart from the Brazilians in London the, the, the other people who are coming are just neutrals it's, it's just an exhibition match and to to move it on from that is, is is quite difficult but there were quite a few ukrainians there and there were also sort of quite a lot of german um barca supporting um people as well which gave it a bit of back and forth and you always need that in a stadium don't you that bit of back and forth so you you really got that and it created a it created a something it created a bit of needle um that, that you needed to sort of propel uh the occasion so i think you know, Hamburg has really worked for, for Shakhtar. I mean, there were some people who doubted whether they could sell it out because it's a big stadium. They got 45,000 for the first game against against Porto. And they've come on a lot since then. Now, when we were talking about the Real Madrid game from last year in Warsaw, it wasn't as emotional as that because in the game in the days that led up to that game, um, a, a couple of cities in, um, in, in, in Ukraine, including uh, Kiev and Kherson, were the subject of very heavy bombing. So um, you had Shakhtar players not only distressed by that, but worried about the safety of relatives, doom-scrolling news sites, um, 
you know, trying to get in contact with family. And then they've got to play Real Madrid the next day. And the performance they pulled out from that was extraordinary. So this felt like a team playing above and beyond itself and beating a Barcelona side that has a big name but really wasn't very good on the, on, on the night. Whereas when they got that draw against Real Madrid, it, it felt different. It felt like a sort of superhuman effort. But talking about Barcelona and, and, and their current difficulties, Derek, I mean, it's unprecedented not just to lose that game but to do it in such a timid fashion, really. I mean, there was a point in the second half where they made the quadruple substitution, brought on Pedri, brought on João Felix, um, Balde, and it, it just made no difference. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary to me. We talked about how the pace of um, how Dortmund play football has changed over, over recent years. That's definitely the case for Barcelona as well, isn't it? Yeah, a real conundrum, Barcelona, because when Xavi came in, I thought, okay, this is the impetus they need. And the football was actually quite bold early on that season when they didn't win the Primera title, second fiddle to Real Madrid, but they were winning some plaudits. They were going through a lot of players as well, trying different players out in different positions. Last season when they won the title, there were many games that did not hit the heights at all in terms of entertainment. It was quite utilitarian, quite minimalistic, it seemed to me. Um, this season so far, ups and downs, wild swings. You know, some games that have been terrific. You know, think of Betis in particular, uh, mm. when they, they were just top-notch and you thought, OK, that's the Barcelona we want to see. Um Antwerp, I think, as well, would fall in that category. Other games where they have just staggered over the finish line if they've won, or sometimes they haven't won games. And um, in a sense, this wasn't a huge surprise. It should have been, because you look at the, the talent, you, you compare and contrast the talent levels on the two sides, mm -hmm. and also take into account what Shakhtar go through. I was reading about you know all the bus journeys they have to make and the, the prolonged travel. You know, It's far easier, actually, for Barcelona to get on a plane and, and uh, you know, be in, in Hamburg a couple of hours later and then go home again afterwards. Um, but I just think at the moment it's not working. It's not firing. I don't see them as as contenders in the Champions League really at all. I think they're going to have the work cut out for them in La Liga. And, um, you know, there's this sort of reliance on on certain flair players. Lewandowski, by the way, is is having a, a nightmarish run at six games now without a goal and being widely criticised as well. So, Well, that's, that's the thing. Yeah. I think you expect him, even when he's not at his best, to scrap with defenders because yeah. that's something that he's always really relished. But... You didn't get that. Something actually, hasn't worked with Lewandowski going to Barcelona. Well, I think I think that the biggest problem is they're on the hook for an absolute another absolute millstone contract yeah. for another two and a half years because he's thirty five years old now, and when players drop off deep into their thirties, they tend to drop off really quickly. We we were talking about this earlier in the week, um, me and the friend that I, I went with. And we were saying if you can imagine or if you can remember, say John Terry mm. went from the best defender in the Premier League to not up to it very, very quickly. And he's a defender. Yeah. Centre forward, I'm sure you're more exposed to, to the age gap. Yeah, and uh, well, I, I don't know. If I think if you're a, if you're a striker, it's easy to, easier to pay over the cracks because you score a couple of goals and people don't really notice how you're, you're, you're playing. But before we leave um, Barcelona, actually, Derek, when we're talking about their current problems, I really wanted to ask you about this. In terms of how not front foot they are, 
I often leave their games with a feeling, I certainly um, had the feeling when I, when I watched the game against uh, Raul Sociedad last weekend, mm. that Marc-Andre Ter is their best player. Yeah. I, I have that feeling maybe more than I, I, I should do. How does the return of Manuel Neuer affect him? And if you were Julian Nagelsmann, who would you pick for the Germany team? It's a great question. I was on a, a German TV program called Doppelpass that you might have seen. It's a Sunday morning yeah. institution. Yeah. So I was a guest on the panel there just a couple of weeks ago. And this came up because Neuer was just back, you know, just or was about to come back for Bayern after his absence of almost a year. And pretty much everybody on the panel, and we're talking here about Christoph Daum was on the panel, legendary coach, and mm-hmm. also, you know, respected journalist. And pretty much everybody felt that Nagelsmann is going to prefer Ter Stegen. And um, now we don't know that for sure. Of course, Nagelsmann and Neuer had a bit of back and forth um, at Bayern, much of it to do with the goalkeeping coach, Tony Tapalovic, and and then bringing in uh, Michael Rechner and Neuer, who was injured at the time, not being happy. But I, I if I were to, if, if, you know, if I were to have a think about the situation right now, I would think that Ter Stegen is probably the, the goalkeeper who has the edge. It's, it's his turn. There's a feeling that he's done really well for Barcelona. I mean, last season when they won the title, uh, it was incredible uh, when he was called upon what he delivered. And I agree. I, I, I think he's the one you give high marks to. And, and rarely is there another consistent performer. You could talk about Gavi who's all over the pitch and, you know, trying to play sort of three roles in one. But I think um, Ter Stegen certainly stands out. And I think for Germany, it's going to be a really big question. And it reminds us a little bit of what happened way back when Jürgen Klinsmann was in charge between Oliver Kahn, the then incumbent, and Jens Lehmann. And the feeling at that time was we just sort of need something fresh. And, And the fresh goalkeeper at that time was Lehmann. Now, it's not to say that the that Neuer doesn't have reasons that would make you pick him and he could run into a, a, a fine spell of form with Bayern now that he's back. But I would, I'd give the slight edge to Ter Stegen. It's one to watch between now and the Euros with Nagelsmann in charge. Let's put that to one side because there's one more German team that we haven't talked about. They were last year's neutrals favourites, Union Berlin. Uh, they had such a successful season last year that you, you thought you were watching something that was a uh, perhaps a secret uh, amongst those people who follow German football because we never heard of Union Berlin before last year. But it feels now, Andy, that the, well, not the chickens have come home to roost, but they're maybe finding their level. Dotting the dancing in the streets of Kopernik this week after ending that run of 12 of course, successive losses. Of course, of what, what they called in the Berliner Morgan Post the, the, the dirty dozen after they uh, lost their 12th game in a row at home to Eintracht Frankfurt. And Eintracht Frankfurt side who are, if we're being polite, upper mid-table. Um, and they, they went to uh, Alton first row and, and won so easily. So easily. And after that, uh, Urs Fischer, the coach, um, of Union and uh, Christopher Trimmel, the long-serving captain, came out and they both said, we're in a relegation fight now. I know it's early in the season, but you've got to say we're in a relegation fight. And and they are because 12 successive games, albeit in all competitions, is a, a really tough run. So I think to show the character and togetherness that they did, okay, I, I think people have framed it as they were eliminated from the Champions League this week. I mean, after losing the first three games and 12 games in a row, they weren't thinking about going through anyway. So 
for them to go to to uh, the, the Stadio Diego Armando Maradona and get a draw, especially after they went 1-0 down in, in the first half to quite an unlucky goal, that deflected goal by Politano, I thought was really, really impressive. It was a really all-hands-on-deck effort. I mean, th- their week's not going to get any easier. They're going to Leverkusen on, on Sunday. So and they really need to start picking up points in the. But you expect the them Bundesliga. to get beat there, though, don't you? Given yeah, their I, position I, I, in the I, I think so. Just... But but look, they've got something to work with now. Um, I guess that when we're looking at why it's started to unravel, Derek, is it about the culture change on the pitch because of the fact that you know they've they've taken some more senior players um, than before. I'm, of course, they experimented with uh, Max Kruser before, but, you know, taking Folland, Gossens, Bonucci, of course, quite late in the window in, in, in this summer, it does change the parameters of the dressing room. It changes expectation. And how much is it about off the pitch? The fact that, you know, the, uh, commercially, the fact of the decision to move the games, the Champions League home games, so the Olympia Stadion has been very successful, but it's not home, is it? It's not home. And, you know, certainly I think we would much rather be having Champions League games in Copenhagen, but they decided to go to the Olympia Stadion and it's a very different dynamic. And, you know, the old expression that we, we love in English, too many cooks spoil the broth. There's the same expression in German, zu viele Köche können den Brei verderben. And, and I think this actually um, is applicable here. I, I think that Union for a number of years, and I was really privileged to be there the night they won promotion when they beat Stuttgart and they play off in Copenhagen. Just magical night, atmosphere-wise, with a terrible game, nil-nil draw that got them through. (laughs) And again, nobody had expected that. Nobody had thought Union are going to be a a Bundesliga club, but they've become part of the furniture in the last few years. But that furniture has become a little bit worn, I think. And they've been playing a certain way. Um, It's quite predictable the way that they've tended to play. Last season, they were way down the possession numbers. They didn't really care about possession. They cared about maximum efficiency when they had chances, set plays. That's always been part of it. Trimmer, who you you mentioned, um, excellent deliverer of the ball when it comes to set plays and others who can contribute on that front. And Urs Fischer, who's sort of been the, the symbolic figure of the club, excellent coach, but sometimes when you change things too much out of necessity, and they've had to change things a lot. You're in the Champions League all of a sudden. You need a bigger, broader squad, maybe a, a change in tactical thinking to accommodate all these new players and things can quickly go awry. I don't think we thought that it would go awry to this extent. I watched them against Stuttgart recently at home. They lost that game 3-0 in the end. They wouldn't have been losing that sort of game 3-0 last season. And sometimes it just comes down to confidence. The one person who I think people outside the Bundesliga maybe don't know and probably should be familiar with is Oliver Runert, who is the, the sporting chief at Union, has been for a while, has a Schalke background, and he's the person who's received all the plaudits for the astute signings and players who fit that system, and now, of course, getting some criticism. And one of the stories that has broken in Germany, I, I can't confirm it, but it's been uh, in, in many of the, the newspapers and uh, broadcast media, is that Oliver Hunert, who's also he's a qualified referee, but he's also, interestingly, uh, a politician um, and affiliated with uh, the Linke Partei, which is the, the, 
the left-wing party in Germany with more votes in the East than in the West, but he's actually based in the West. And he's now been linked with this new party that has been set up by a prominent politician by the name of Zara Wagenknecht, from the, the Linke Partei, but she's much more populist and incorporates ideas that actually might come from the far right of the political spectrum. And and the rumours are um, that he is is in line to become a senior figure there. Now, how that ties in with Union's future is anyone's guess. Wow. At the moment, he remains very yeah. much the, the sporting chief there. But it is one to watch because uh, should he take on that that added responsibility one wonders if he'll still be there and he has really been the glue um in terms of getting union to where they are from a player personnel point of view his contract is up as well is there a difference in the way that union play um at their ground compared to uh, when they're playing in a champions league game for example a european uh, competition match at another ground. Is there a difference in the way they, they set up? I think there is because we already talked about, um, you know, they, they they tried the Olympia Stadion out before in the, in the, in the conference league because at that point there was no UEFA safe standing experiment and um, they weren't allowed to have the games at, at, at Kerpenick. But if, if you've not been there, the atmosphere is, is, is something special. Is, is is something that really it, it, it can't not affect the players. You know, um, they're fully implicated. Even in though it. it's a much smaller ground. Yeah, I, I, but I think it's because it's a much smaller ground. But it's also the proximity of the stands to the pitch, which is something that Olympia Stadion, in particular, it's not just about the size of it. Obviously, it's absolutely cavernous. But there's that gap, a little bit like say West Ham, um, where there's there's a, there's a gap between the stands and the pitch. And it, it's night and day. It's chalk and cheese going to watch games at Hertha and going to watch games at, at Union. Did, did and I mean, the thing the thing about, we were talking about that, that terrible run that they've been on. The remarkable thing about them losing that game at home to Frankfurt last week is that um, Urs Fischer, the coach, anywhere else, he, he had been fired way earlier in that run. But instead, the home fans are chanting that he's a football god. A football god. <laughs> After they've just lost 12 games in a row. It's it's a very, very different club to others. Look forward to hearing more about them at some point or other. Now, I don't know if you've been told, Derek, at this point, we usually ask our experts to nominate a game of the week mm. for us to enjoy. And there are plenty to choose from. We've already hinted at a couple that might, you know, make an impact in the Bundesliga. You can go wherever you want. Yep. You can go home or away, as it were. Um, don't know if you want to go first, but a game of the week? Yeah, I'm going to stay at home, meaning the Bundesliga, and I'm going to go for the top spiel because the top spiel in the Bundesliga on a Saturday is the late game. Doesn't always mean it's the absolute best game, but the top spiel is going to be Bochum against Köln. And this is a West duel, so two Western clubs. And it's a relegation battle. It's the ultimate relegation battle. Now, why have I chosen this one? Well, it's 11-11, the 11th of the 11th, which in the city of Cologne is very special. It's the start of carnival season. So if you're 
heading to Cologne, if anybody is heading to Cologne this weekend, they'll see a lot of people in strange costumes running around and consuming copious <laughs> quantities of alcohol. That is part of the tradition. So um, Kern are playing on 11-11, away to Bochum. Kern, who are bottom, and there's another team with a, a coach, Stefan Baumgart, who's immensely popular. And in many other situations, the club would say, right, we're having a parting of the ways here, but not in Kern at the moment. But they certainly need the points. They need a big boost. And um, I was also told that sometimes you like to choose some food and drink to, to yes. go with oh, the... That's obligatory. Yeah. Have you seen my tummy? <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all in the same boat on that one, uh, Dalton. Um, no, I think... Um, I would be looking at uh, something quite simple for this game. I would go for currywurst mit pommes. So that's simple currywurst. So that's um, sausage with a, a chopped up with a special um, curry sauce. You can find this at any train station, but it's particularly nicely done in Bochum. They have a great reputation for that. And then uh, with a special um, sort of powder that, that adds to the, the spice and then the thick sauce. And then pommes being chips. You could have that with ketchup or mayo and, and a nice kirsch beer to wash it down since it is since it is 11-11. How about that? I'm going to struggle to top this, I think. <laughs> I, I, I was also, having pressed you on Tushtegen and Neuer, I was going to press you on whether Borkham has got the best half-time curry voice in yep. the Bundesliga, but I think you've answered that already. They do, yep. <laughs> so where would you go? Somewhere a little warmer on uh, Sunday. It's uh, the derby, the derby to end them all. Um, between Sevilla and Betis, 5 p.m. UK time on uh, Sunday. Sevilla Sevilla, have had a very, very up-and-down season. They didn't look that impressive in the Champions League the other day. No, and I didn't (laughs) for a second expect them to, to be be perfectly honest. Um, They've they've got a lot of issues. Uh, They've got a new coach, Diego Alonso, who's had a a relatively promising start, I suppose, although the problems at the club are over his head, really, and uh, they, they will continue to exist, especially with the, the, the composition of the squad, as we've discussed. A lot of that's to do with, with Monchi before he left for Aston Villa. Um, but Betis have got themselves in a position where that they are ready after so many years, after all those Europa Leagues for Sevilla, I think they're ready to take over the city at this point. And of course, we had that brilliant moment last week when Nabil Fekir came back after 254 days out, played the last few minutes against Mallorca, came on as a sub for Isco and Isco placed the captain's armband very symbolically on his arm. Fekir had such a wide smile. And, you know, you look at um, the, the the players they've got, um, they've got Diao, they've got Fekir, they've got... Um, Iosi Perez as well, so, and, and Isco himself is in great form as well mm. to play behind the striker, be it Borja Iglesias or, or, or be it um, William Jose. So they've got loads of options. Severe, very unconvincing at the back. I wonder if this could be a win for Betis to compare that one where Vincenzo Montella's Sevilla got absolutely run over on New Year's Day at a home by Betis. But we'll we'll wait and see. Either way, it's going to be an absolutely electric occasion. Now, I went to Spain recently on on holiday, and I managed not to get any paella. This is probably not the best part of Spain <laughs> to get paella, but that's a big fail. So we'll, we'll have to get that at least um, in tapas form. There's there's no doubt about that. But the best thing I ate while I was in Spain was this uh, baked cod 
on Graton, and I'm oh, I definitely have that again. I've heard about this one. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. worth it's worth uh, a, a punt rather than the fire. Yeah, I think. <laughs> Thank you for listening to On the Continent. Do make sure that you join us again tomorrow for Ask OTC, where we'll be answering all of your questions about the latest news from the world of European football. And do make sure that you subscribe in your podcast app so that you never miss an episode. On the Continent is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.